And have you ever noticed how all the various different callings that we have in life have both things that are joyful and delightful and really exciting, and sometimes there's some particular costs that also are involved with the various things that we're called to throughout our experience. For example, when our girls were really young, sleeping was a bit of an issue in our household. And again, maybe it was the personalities of our kids, maybe it was a bit of our parenting, who knows, we'll leave that up to some wisdom someday. Uh, but sleep was often rare and short and tremendously interrupted quite often. I remember through those years sometimes being so tired that I wouldn't quite remember doing various things. For example, I remember a number of Sundays where I would preach a sermon, I would get down off the platform, and as I was going down the stairs, I recognized I have no idea what I just said because I'm too tired. <laughs> like, well, hopefully that made sense. Or occasionally that terrifying moment when I would drive somewhere and get to the destination and realize, I don't remember the journey here at all. It's like, I think I need a little bit more sleep. And again, we've all done this in various different parts of our lives and different experiences of our calling where we've had to just dive in and give something of ourselves to make things happen and to make things come together really well. Again, maybe that's been a part of your sports team where to compete really well in a particular sport, you've had to push through, you've had to dig deep, you've had to give up all kinds of energy and time, you've had to eat really carefully. Maybe it's in your marriage where there's been a season that you've just had to say, I've got to dive in, I've got to give it myself, and I've got to push through. Maybe it's in the context of your work where you can just say, in this season, I've got to push forward and move through to make sure everything comes out exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And certainly this also happens for us in our relationship with Jesus. We recognize that our relationship with Jesus is of infinite value. It is precious. It is worth more than anything that we could possibly imagine. In Jesus, we find life and fullness for all of eternity and hope and peace in this particular and in this present moment. And we also realize that following Jesus at particular moments in time has some significant costs connected to it. And we're going to look at this in the passage that we have today as we continue through our series, Remarkable, looking at the life of Jesus and the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to pick it up today in chapter 14. And in this part, particular part of 14, beginning at verse 43, we begin to see how Jesus' calling is getting costly on a whole new level. But we also see how Jesus is profoundly willing to step in and to embrace these moments of cost because he understands the goodness of what the Father is doing and he's willing to dive in and do whatever it takes to see things come together. And so if you remember from last week, Pastor Michael led us through this. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He's been ongoingly encouraging them to watch and to pray, to be mindful of what's going on, to stay with him, to pray with him for at least an hour, and they just keep falling asleep. Then Jesus comes back to them, finds them sleeping for the third time, and says, get up, let's go, here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was, follow was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, in this passage, we see this really fascinating dynamic of Jesus being arrested. 
And we kind of understand the story, but let's take a few minutes just to imagine what this would feel like. You're with your disciples, you're in the garden, you're praying, and all of a sudden there's this huge mob of ruffians that are coming towards you with swords and clubs. This is an angry group of people. The level of tension in the space is so high that somebody's ear even gets cut off in the scuffle and in the frustration of what's going on. This isn't a calm dynamic. There is this sense of deep and profound tension in the garden at this particular moment in time. And imagine what it would feel like to be taken and to be bound and to be pulled off by this group of ruffians who don't care anything for you, who are treating you as if you are violent and dangerous when you have no intention of causing harm or difficulty to anybody. Imagine the tension and the injustice and the sense of loss that you would feel. But Jesus goes all the way through knowing exactly where this is leading. Jesus knows that this is taking him to a torturous death and he goes all the way through every single part of it. When we think about this, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, we know the story, this is how this goes, but this is Jesus. This isn't just anybody. For example, we read in the book of Colossians in chapter 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And imagine the contrast between the beauty of these words and Jesus' personal experience of those moments of being arrested. Everything was created through him and for him. All the vast expanse of the universe was created by the goodness and the glory of his power, and all of it was created for his goodness and for his pleasure. That phrase at the end, in him all things hold together, is fascinating. Can you imagine the infinite strength necessary in every second of every day to hold together the full dynamics of the universe and keep everything flowing exactly as it's intended to be? Never mind what it would take to manage and support and control and maneuver all of the spiritual authorities and powers and rulers that exist throughout all all of the elements of creation. And every second of every day, it is Jesus' power and his strength that makes all of life move and work and be. His creativity is constantly poured out. His strength is beyond measure or beyond understanding. And then here in the garden, we have this small band of ruffians with swords and clubs who take him and bind him severely and carry him off towards death. And Jesus is willing to dive into every single part of this. He does this willingly. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to Peter, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Again, Jesus is remarkably uncompromising. He will do whatever it takes to fulfill the will of the father and to see that the goodness and glory of salvation comes to you and to me. It's an infinite kind of love. It's a beautiful kind of expression. As we were singing these songs a few minutes ago, I couldn't help but recognize the fact that for some of us, we're really wrestling to understand the way that God loves us. And for some of us today, there's an element of shame or there's a sense of weightiness. We feel like it's very difficult for us to embrace the goodness and the love of God. But we see in these passages, this is the depths of how Jesus loves you. This is the passion and the intensity with which he pursues you. 
that even though he has all power and all strength and all might and all of the universe, he's willing to go through hardship and pain and humiliation to love you and to save you and to express his care for you. Whatever the weights are that we bring into this room today, the presence and the power and the sacrifice of Jesus is enough to wash us and to strengthen us, to purify us, and to bring us into a new sense of life. This is the intensity of his passion for you. And as he does this, Jesus is remarkably faithful to the will of the Father in all of the big things to make sure that salvation comes out, but also in all of the little things. He talks in this passage about making sure that the scriptures are fulfilled exactly as they ought to be. Even when the scriptures that he's talking about are things like Isaiah 53 that talk about that he will be numbered with the transgressors. And Zechariah 13, the idea that they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus is willing to go through the pain and the hardship and the humiliation of all of these different things so that the perfect will of the Father is done and so that you and I can experience this deep sense of love and transformation and life throughout all of eternity. Jesus is willing to embrace the fullness of his calling no matter what it looks like. And I find myself asking the question, how would I respond? Am I so overwhelmingly passionate about the fullness of the will of the Father and all the things that he's calling me to do and to be that I don't want to miss any moment of obedience with him? Do I trust him so completely that in the big and in the small things, I'm willing to walk through whatever things might be painful or humiliating or difficult or hard to make sure that the fullness of his will is done all of the way through? because we never know the strength and the power of one moment of obedience. For example, we see in the life of Jesus, he walked through so many moments of hardship and pain and betrayal and being hurt and humiliated and damaged. And I know in my own story, in my own moments of betrayal and hurt and woundedness, I'm so grateful that I can look at Jesus and say, you know what this feels like. And you can teach me how to walk with you in these places. And Jesus knew that every single second of obedience all along the way would fulfill perfectly the will of the Father and would create everything exactly the way that it was meant to be done. But what about for me and for you? What's our level of holistic commitment to the will of the Father? What does it look like to follow him in the fullness of what our calling looks like in all of the big and powerful moments and in the day-by-day decisions that we need to make to follow him faithfully and well? I think that for many of us, we're willing to follow Jesus fully and powerfully as long as we feel him close and as long as we feel him near. We're willing to follow him fully as long as we understand what he's doing. We're willing to follow him as long as it looks successful. But maybe we struggle a bit more when we don't feel the presence of God quite so closely. Or maybe we struggle a bit more when we can't really understand why God would call us to a particular action or to a particular space. Or maybe we struggle when things just get hard. When it looks like it might be difficult to walk through whatever it is that he's inviting us into. Maybe it's the big things that we say, yes, Jesus, I'm in, and it was big and glorious and powerful, and I can see the success of this moment. And maybe we struggle when it doesn't make any sense or when it just seems small or insignificant, or why would it matter that we follow Jesus in these particular things? But we never know the power of one moment of obedience. We never know the significance of how God will play out through this moment of following him in something that seems so small and insignificant to us, a level of strength and capacity to bless and to care for someone else later on. 
because God knows the beginning all the way through to the end. Let's just look at a couple of different ways that Jesus embraced the reality of what his calling looked like. Again, first of all, Jesus embraced his calling even when it was significantly costly. When he's arrested, Jesus comments, am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Can you hear the pain in those words? Can you hear the sense of injustice? We feel the sense of Jesus' frustration. He's been teaching. He hasn't been hiding a thing. And in the middle of the night, to try and avoid some kind of scandal or people trying to support him, they come at him in the middle of the night, not recognizing that he will go with them, but as if he's a violent criminal with clubs and with swords, with overwhelming strength and capacity to grab him and to bind him closely and carry him off. We feel that Jesus felt and understood the pain and the humiliation of being treated like this particular kind of criminal. There's a very real and, an, there's a very real and a, a profound sense of cost for Jesus in these moments. And we'll see in the weeks to come that there's a significant and a growing sense of cost for Jesus in all of these kinds of moments. And I wonder how often for me and for you, we draw the line at obedience when it gets costly. As soon as it requires something of us, is that the moment that we stop or the moment that we hold back? I remember for some years I would say to Jesus, Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as I have the chance to kind of decide whether or not I really am sure that it's you. And that was my way of trying to, you know, push back against when it would get costly, I would say, I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to hold back and not really do this because I'm not totally sure. Again, maybe you have a mechanism like that where you recognize I want to do whatever God wants me to do, but as soon as it's going to cost me something, I'm not sure I want to follow all the way through. Again, cost can look like a whole bunch of different things for us. Again, for example, a cost can be something very small and something very normal. Maybe the cost that God is calling you to and the particular calling he has for you in this moment is maybe to sacrifice a few minutes of sleep every day, to just enjoy the presence of Jesus and to be with him, or to give up some time in the evening if you're not a morning person, and instead of watching TV or doing some other uh, leisure activity, to just embrace those moments in the presence of God. Maybe the cost gets a little bit higher, when he asks us to confess something that we would rather keep secret. And it feels really costly to us to have other people see us and know us as we truly are and not as we would like them to imagine us to be. Maybe the cost gets higher when we need to risk someone ridiculing us or being frustrated with us or pushing against us. Maybe the cost gets higher when Jesus says to us, I want you to choose to limit your own standard of living so that you can embrace more fully the work that I'm doing or you can make sure that someone else can simply live. Maybe the cost gets higher when Jesus says to us, I want you to move to another place away from family and friends and things that are familiar because there are people there who don't yet know the truth of who I am. Maybe the cost gets higher as we risk frustration or hardship or oppression or arrest or persecution or even death. You see, Jesus modeled this perfectly for us that through whatever the cost might be, he chose to do the perfect and the full will of the Father no matter what it cost and no matter what it looked like, and he can teach and empower us to do the same thing. And for Jesus, some of this cost was relational in nature. 
You can imagine what this must have felt like for him in those moments when one of his closest friends comes up to him with a whole band of ruffians behind him and greets him with their traditional sign of respect, kissing him and saying, Rabbi, honoring him as, a, as an exalted teacher, only to betray him into the hands of people who want to harm him profoundly. And can you imagine what would have happened in the heart of Jesus as Judas comes up and kisses him and says, Rabbi, Judas is saying to him, I am renouncing you. I don't believe in anything that you stand for. I'm pushing against all of these years of teaching and everything that you invested in me mean absolutely nothing. I wish that you were dead and everything that you stand for. Can you imagine the sting of that kind of betrayal? And then all of the rest of his followers who simply can't even stay awake and pray with him for one hour, let alone stand up to this mob that's coming towards him. But all of them simply run away and flee. There's a very real relational cost for Jesus in doing the will of the Father. And what do we do in our lives, in our everyday experience, when our devotion to Jesus comes up against the possibility of relational strain and frustration? For example, what do we do in those moments when we know that God is calling us to act ethically at work even when nobody else does? What do we do in those moments when we realize that it will create tension in our work environment if we choose to do what we know to be right even when nobody else does these things? Or what do we do at those moments where we're with a friend or a loved one who doesn't yet know Jesus and we can feel the Spirit of God prompting us to tell them what we know of Jesus and the goodness of what he's done in our lives? Are we willing to risk damaging that relationship or maybe making things awkward for a few moments by telling them the truth that we know? Because the costs are so high when we don't. And what about those moments where we have to risk ridicule or people thinking badly of us or rejecting us if we choose to say the truth of what we know in Jesus? I remember years ago having a conversation with a young man who was telling me about the fact that his co-workers had found out that he was waiting until marriage to experience physical intimacy. And they were merciless in the ways that they made fun of him and mocked him and belittled him because of this. I remember sitting down with him and him just explained to me how hurtful it was to be made fun of for something so personal and something so private. And what do we do if it means to follow Jesus that sometimes we'll be alone, that other people will choose not to go with us, that they might betray us or accuse us or push against us, or it might make things awkward, or we might feel rejected or pushed off. Again, Jesus has done this perfectly continuing to love and to bless and to care for even those who are accusing him and murdering him and torturing him and pushing against him. He shows us what it looks like to love well, even in the face of all kinds of relational hardship. And his spirit within us can teach us to do the same. You see, in this passage, we see that the disciples fled away, leaving Jesus all alone. One of them, likely Mark, even slipped out of his clothes and went streaking through the garden because it seemed less difficult and less humiliating to streak through the garden than to be still caught in connection with Jesus. Again, this was a decision that in that moment seemed like it was the very best call, but upon reflection, all of them regretted this decision. And for you and for me, every single day, these are the decisions that we face. Every single day, the presence of God says to us, are you willing to embrace this particular part of what it looks like to follow me even when it's costly? And we always have that decision to make. In the moment, it might seem like it's too much or it's too hard or it's too difficult to choose to embrace the cost and to follow Jesus. But we recognize in the long term, we always regret it. 
when we choose not to follow him and to go through everything that he's inviting us to do. And the truth of the matter is that I am not strong enough and you are not strong enough to follow Jesus faithfully all the way through in and of ourselves. And the really good news of the gospel is that we don't have to. Because Jesus has already walked all of this perfectly and well, and the presence of his spirit within us can strengthen us and empower us and clarify for us what the truth is and how we follow Jesus well, even when it's costly and even when we want to pull back and even when we're not sure and even when we don't understand and even when it means that people may not love us or they may betray us or hurt us or even when it means that we lose things or people or situations that we love. Because his presence within us can anchor us and hold us through. And in every situation where we find ourselves pushing back or resisting the cost of following Jesus, all that we need to do is to move into the presence of God and say, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you make this clear for me? God, would you empower me to resist this temptation and to follow you all of the way through? Because the fascinating thing is that God is writing a powerful story. God is doing a mighty, a beautiful, a life-transforming work of redemption through my life and through yours. And you never know the power of one, one particular decision of obedience. Because every one of them brings the presence of God further and deeper into our lives and into our world. And as we obey him, there is such joy and deep delight, even when it is costly. And even when there is pain involved, there's a sense of settledness and peace in those particular moments. And so the question for you and I is, will we give Jesus our yes again and again and again and again and again? Because as we do, the kingdom of God moves forward in glory and in strength and in power. Again, he loves us more than we could possibly know. And he's inviting us into a life of goodness that we cannot even begin to imagine. In the full scope of all of eternity, we will always be grateful for every yes that we gave to Jesus. And so today, we just want to take a moment and an opportunity to just embrace this space together. So let's just ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you calling me to do? So just take a moment wherever you are and just ask him, what is the particular moment of obedience? What's the space that he's inviting you into in this moment? I just want you to respond to Jesus. Are you willing to embrace whatever it is that he's calling you into?
And then just take a moment and just ask him for whatever it is that you need to be able to follow through well. Again, maybe you need more clarity. Maybe you need to know how deeply he loves you. Maybe you need to know his strength. Maybe you need to know a deeper sense of joy. Maybe you need people around you to help keep you accountable or to just support you in the decisions that he's calling you to walk through. So just ask him for whatever it is that you need to follow him faithfully and well. And so, Lord, together as a people, we come into your hands. We offer ourselves freely to you. We ask you, Lord, to give us the wisdom and the clarity and the strength and the capacity to follow you faithfully and well. Lord, we ask that you would take our lives and create something beautiful out of them. Would you move in us and through us in such a way that you are exalted, that you are glorified, that you are lifted high? Because we realize that only in you can we find life and freedom and contentment and joy. Grant us a perspective like you gave Jesus to be able to see past the moments of cost or the spaces of difficulty, to recognize the wonder and the goodness of what you're doing. Help us to follow you faithfully in all the big decisions and in all the small, that you would be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.